Hi, it's Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you love digging into the week's political headlines, subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our reporters take you behind the scenes of some of the biggest stories from the campaign trail to the halls of Congress. Just for our Inside the Hive listeners, save 15% on a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair with promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off one year of all you can read, watch, and hear. Remember how for years, phones were just these things that you would just pick up and all you could do was make a phone call with them. And now phones have literally changed every aspect of everything we do from the moment we wake up in the morning till we go to sleep at night. Well, imagine if there was a technology that could do that for your experience taking a shower. There is, and the company that is behind it is called Groa. It's spelt G-R-O-H-E, but pronounced kind of like you grow a flower. The company is intelligent innovation, stylish, it's brilliant. They make faucets and showering products, but not just any old faucets and showering product. First of all, these are renowned worldwide, German-designed. They are beautiful and intuitive, and performance is incredible on them. But they actually make a product called the Grow a Smart Control, which is the latest in shower customization technology. Smart Control lets you manage up to three bath and shower functions with one seamless control. You can completely declutter your shower experience in your wall and so on, and you can essentially take the greatest shower you've ever taken in your life. It's completely personalizable. Uh, it's You can set preset temperatures, volume controls, all these things. It's pretty wild. You should really check it out. Uh, go online and check out Groa at groa.us slash hive. That's once again, G-R-O-H-E dot U-S slash hive. Just go take a look at this thing. It's gorgeous. It's really, really impressive. And it has literally had the same effect on my shower experience as the phone had on my phone experience. It, it's, it's worth checking out. It's fascinating. Uh, welcome to Inside the Hive. I'm your host, Nick Dilton. I have a very special guest here today oh boy. who is incredibly stressed out because I told him we don't actually edit the show. And I just had some carbonated beverage, which means I might burp. It, it's so. okay. He's drinking Coca-Cola. Do you want to introduce yourself? Or? Uh, Aaron Levy from Box. Okay. So Aaron, uh, I've known for uh, well over a decade now. Probably. Um, and uh, he is incredibly smart, pretty funny, wow. thoughtful. Wow. And I am convinced that he has a team of ex-SNL writers writing his tweets. Okay. We'll see if any of those things that you just said are accurate. Let's let's <laughs> jump right into it. Um, uh, should we start with enterprise software? Like, where do you want to... I just, hope we start and end with enterprise software, enterprise and that's software. everything in between. Uh, so. Let's, let's this start... Was, I, I was told that you only wanted to talk about enterprise technology on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, we could figure out how to, how to make, okay. you know, technology and, and everything. I, I, let's start with something we're, we're going to get to politics and Silicon Valley Naturally. and all the bad, wonderful things going on in the world because that's all I ever care about yep. and so do our listeners. But I actually want to start with something. Uh, everyone's probably really upset about Kavanaugh this week. Not probably. Everyone is very upset about Kavanaugh this week. But I want to start with something else and yep. we're going to get to all that okay. other stuff. And the thing I want to start with is um, is Amazon yep. and wealth yep. and money. And it's something I've been thinking about a lot. And I know you think about this a lot too okay. as we get into automation and yep. so on. Yeah. And I'm curious if you think that the system that we have in the economic system in the world that we have today 
is working. Mm. I mean, it's it's uh, definitely not working in the sense of how many uh, people and how much of the population are still held back by the system. So let's let's be very clear on that, that it's not working. The question is, what is the actual better way uh, to, to make it work? And um, I don't know that we've seen what the what the perfect ideal system is that can be as equitable as, as possible, that, that can lift up as much of the, the population as, as possible. But um, it, it's very clear that the current system we have doesn't work. And uh, partly, uh, w- one part of that is, is you know, some of the challenges with, with capitalism, uh, monopoly power, et cetera. But then other parts are just actually what the government is literally doing with the money that we give the government and what, what are the systems that the government creates to actually build up infrastructure, education, healthcare, et cetera. So I think in, it, part of it is the economy and, and how the economy functions, and part of it is literally how our governments operate. But doesn't technology play a huge role in this too? Uh, totally. The, the, I don't know that, I mean, look, here's, here's a a statistic. Um, I make badger, badger the numbers by a few bucks, but, but, um, uh, Jeff Bezos is worth around $170 billion. Mm. That is equal to, depending on what's going on in the markets right the second, that is equal to, um, the poorest 200, uh, million people in America. Um, I mean, literally that's the same amount of wealth as that. The, the, there was this, I read a, st- a statistic recently that if you were to redistribute all the wealth in America yep. and to give it to every single household, every household in America would get seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars. So, yet you have people, you know, thirty something percent that are on the poverty line. You have, um, uh, you have, um, uh, I mean, just you know, drive. Yeah. Five minutes over that way and go to a hospital in in, in, in downtown bad. LA. It's it's yeah. disgusting. Yeah. It's like, and yet as as you're seeing with technology, and the reason I bring this up is because I you tweeted something about like how about how wealthy Am, uh, how well Amazon is doing and, and Bezos and so on. Yeah. And I and I there's part of me that thinks like oh yeah they really are they're they're changing the world. But there's part yeah. of me that's like they're going to continue to grow and start and continue to swallow more industries. And is that right? Uh, I will. So there's there's two different issues here. Yes. One is the wealth of Jeff Bezos yes. and and what should happen to that wealth. And then there's a different issue, which is how powerful is Amazon? Is it too powerful? And how do we think about the role of disruption of I- technology? And I, I would almost decouple those because it's it's more of incidental that Jeff happens to own so much of Amazon uh, to the fact that they're so monopol- so powerful. So you know, even if he had zero percent of the company, you might still have an issue of Amazon is an incredibly powerful company that is now rolling through every major industry. And then we should you know start to think about is that a good thing for society or is that a bad thing for society? So yeah. The, yeah, those are the questions. I mean, I can yeah. leave and you can just ask yourself the questions and then the answers. About, uh, <laughs> two and a half hour monologue on this topic, and uh, but I would actually edit it in that case. So okay, so so let's let's start. Which one do you want to yeah. start with? Well, on the on the I I think on the wealth thing, I think it's tricky because it, it just happens to be again he he founded the company, he owns a, a large percentage of the company. It's not necessarily. I mean, a lot of it is liquid, but obviously he couldn't sell it all and, and have the, the stock still perform the same way. So the question is, what should happen with that wealth? And and hopefully over time, you know, a, a significant portion of that goes back and 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 contributes to to the greater good of society. But but that one I think is is again partly incidental because of just the the. But that's yeah. but it's not. Partly incidental. I mean, Zuckerberg, Benioff, like well, all these. It's, it's incidental in the sense that even five years ago, that wealth would have been maybe twenty-five billion dollars. So we're looking at at his wealth at a time where the market is absolutely on fire, and we're we're equating the amount of stock that he owns of the company to this this 
uh, you know, assuming that this is sort of the static amount of wealth, it's not. I mean, it was it was half as much as it was a year ago. So so it's not there's not a practical way at the moment to redistribute his actual stock ownership in Amazon. That's why that's why it's it's kind of hard to actually think about what do you do about that. Um, so I, I don't really know. I mean, if you were to sell it all, then then I think you'd actually have a really interesting question of how should that be taxed, et cetera. So that way you can you know give back to the greater good. Okay, but so okay, so but don't you th- do, do, does, is there any part of you that worries that uh, these technological giants, because they have so much data on all of us, mm-hmm. um, uh, that they are able to continue to essentially kind of, you know, take advantage of of our habits and continue to grow completely. Uh, then yeah. that that is now that that second issue. Okay, let's get to the okay. second issue. Okay, so so once you once you get beyond uh, Bezos's wealth, then you have the second issue, which is okay, we have this. Uh, in the digital age, the ability to mass uh, power relates to how much data can you aggregate, how much, uh, uh, how much can you do with that data, can you enter new industries with that data, can you continue to build more and more of a, of an, of a larger empire because of that. We're seeing that in the consumer spaces with companies like Facebook and Google. We're seeing that in, in commerce with Amazon. Um, and, uh, and then the question is, uh, in, in, in some cases, I think there's very real challenges with that, which is, okay, our privacy is now at, at stake in a lot of cases with, with companies like Facebook. Um, and then in other areas, you have, uh, uh, you have to question, you know, do we like the, the sort of commerce empire that Amazon is building? Is that a net positive for society? Is that a net positive for prices of products? Is that a net positive for um, the, the convenience that we all experience um, uh, because of Amazon? And I think, th- I think you can easily argue both sides of that uh, in a very reasonable way. I don't think I don't think it's it's I don't think we should just automatically say it's completely positive because we can get products on demand in two hours and all things that Amazon does is a good thing. There are there are challenges with with obviously some of the ways that that uh, the, the the company might operate, but um, but I think uh, in general we're moving to a world where. Uh, when you have technology powering uh, life sciences and healthcare and commerce and transportation, then you will see this aggregation of of more and more, um, uh, more and more con- more and more control and and and, uh, and power, you know, coming from technology companies. And do you? But does that worry you? Totally. Okay. <laughs> I love how you're like. Here's my seven thousand word answer, and here's yeah. my one word. Yeah, answer. exactly. Uh, um, I can give you like three thousand words on that one, also. If but, you what, like. so, but what? But what? But okay. Yeah. There are things that um, when things worry us, we try to do things to try to change them. Yeah. Uh, shoot. As someone who is that'd be a long list of things. Yeah. <laughs> as someone who is deeply embedded in Silicon Valley and spends time with these people and 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 so on, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Do you, should there be regulation? Should there be, you know, should there be caps on how big a company can grow? Should there be like, you know, um, you know, I, I don't know that I'm going to uh, be able to propose caps on. on I'm just the, saying, like, yeah, you yeah. know, like, <laughs> um, I think I that, do think there should be a cap on wealth. I, I have no, I have, I have no obvious problem with that. Like, I, I just don't know what that means because if it's if your wealth is determined by the stock market, what what does that literally mean? Like the, do you start to sell your stock at the point when you reach a certain amount? Well, I think that no, I think that I think that what it should mean personally is is anyone who makes over a billion dollars should be taxed ninety percent. Sure, 
But if you're not selling that stock, what do you get taxed on? Well, you, you get taxed on it when you sell it. Oh, sure. Okay, yeah. uh, fine. Uh, let's agree on that. Actually, okay, I'm great. totally fine with that. Oh, okay, all right. We're, we're, Thanks we're, for listening, everyone. Okay. That's and it. <laughs> I mean, I would even go lower than a billion if you'd like. Really? Yeah, totally. Why not? What, do you think? Half a billion? I, who needs more than... Yeah, totally. No one needs more we than... We can go lower than a billion. This we, is totally fine. I just, you know, I was trying to be fair to the billionaires. Nah, so they get, still get to call themselves to, billionaires. You don't need to be fair to them. It's fine. Yeah. Um, okay, so, so okay, we agreed on a tax structure. Okay, Woof, this is good. Nice. Okay, we're making a lot of progress. Um, <laughs> I think that the on the other issue, which is, okay, what is the role and, and power... And now, as a quick sidebar, uh, I, I have some qualms with how taxes are used. And, uh, and so I, I don't think it is obvious that we should just sort of say like, oh, well, well, the tax dollars are really going to causes that are always uh, going to be super positive for society. So, so, but we can make that at maybe That's podcast a, number four. Yeah, we'll do that. We'll, yeah. we'll do that in the, in the prologue. Yeah. And then, and then, and then you have to have a question of, okay, well, where, where would you actually rather, see, would you rather have the market try and solve, you know, some, some of these problems or would you, uh, or do you definitely want the government to solve these problems? And, and I think you could have a reasonable debate about that. But in terms of the power that companies are amassing, um, I generally, uh, without getting into all, obviously all the depth of, of maybe, you know, employment practices or whatever, of, of, and the challenges of, of a company like Amazon, um, just because given their scale and the, and the variety of businesses in there, and I generally think it's, it's been a net positive for consumers to have this sort of, you know, l- lower cost services, more convenience, all of that. Now, in terms of the data that gets amassed in uh, platforms like Facebook and other consumer companies, I think this is a real challenge. And, um, and the, the question is, how do you begin to regulate that uh, in a way that doesn't dramatically, you know, change or, or um, curtail the, 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 you know, consumer value of those companies? Uh, I don't think anybody's figured out a, a, a way to do that. But there's no question that unfettered access to all of our private information where they can mine it and all forms of advertising and manipulation of data and information that we see might not be something that we want to have completely unregulated or um, uh, with, with zero oversight from any other kind of body. Is this? Do you? Do you? I mean, look, you're out. You're on this podcast talking about this, and I know you've you've talked about it with other folks. But do you, when you spend time at your secret social gatherings yeah. with with people like Jeff Bezos at and Chipotle. at Chipotle? Yeah. Um, uh, it's kind of gone downhill a little bit, but recently I'm actually fine. Uh, um, I have no Chipotle problems. Uh, it's a little too salty for me, you know. But I love it. It's a the whole whole side <laughs> note. But um, uh, do you do you know do other people in Silicon Valley recognize these concerns? It kind of seems like you know, like someone like Mark Zuckerberg um, is just intent on uh, taking over the world and and uh, d- doesn't have a qualm about the mm-hmm. fact that that they're using insane levels of data to be able to kind of manipulate what we do and what we click on and and so on. Are, are there other people in the Valley that you talk to about this stuff or no? Yeah, you know, totally. I, I would say uh, the, I mean, for, certainly for anybody not in the Valley, um, uh, I, I would represent, you know, a large chunk of the Valley as being concerned and, and, uh, and, and, you know, truly dealing with these challenges of, is are these technology platforms all uh, too powerful? Do they know too much? Are they uh, is there are are there, are there forms of misuse and abuse that were not um, initially anticipated that now are actually quite egregious and 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 you know problematic? Uh, and I think we're seeing that in elections, we're seeing that in the news that we see, we're seeing that in abuse and trolls. And I think that uh, I think you know where where a lot of companies were sort of created with this ideal that. That more openness, more sharing would create a, a better society, better communication, better transparency. We're seeing the other repercussions of that, which is when they get abused, it can be incredibly harmful. And I think that that a lot of people in Silicon Valley, 
I don't know the percentage, but but a lot of people in Silicon Valley are, are worried about that. And what does that actually tell us about the future and, and where, where things are going? And are they doing anything to change it? Um, well, many of the people that I'm referring to as being concerned about this are not necessarily in the companies that are causing it uh, or, or, you know, kind of core to this. Um, and so it's uh, I think the, the the question is, are the people inside of these companies having those same com- conversations of where, where uh, are, are these plat- do these platforms need to be modified in such a way where the information that we're getting is is either more you know accurate or the people that are interacting on these platforms are more. Uh, it, they're interacting in a healthier way. Uh, you know, these are these are uh, really big issues that uh, I, I don't know the status of it at you know social networks or whatnot. Do, do you? So, did you grow up reading sci-fi? No, you didn't. Okay, well, there goes that question. Sorry. All right, but I, we can, I can pretend I did. Okay, you can pretend you yeah. can make it up. Uh, um, you grew up being interested in technology. Correct. Correct. Okay, so. I had uh, um, uh, what's his name from Wired on here uh, a, a while back, and um, his name will come to me. No, the the who started it, uh, oh. um, and he. We were talking, and I've had this conversation with other people who have who worked in Silicon Valley or in tech and have and, and left. Um, and uh, Kevin Kelly, thank mm-hmm. you. Uh, and the and and Kevin Kelly had this argument that you know that there are bad sides of technology and there are good sides of technology. And if you look at it from a mathematical standpoint, that technology makes life and the world better 51% and gives us and makes it worse, maybe 49%. Mm-hmm. And therefore, because it is... This is like a well-studied thing that he... No, it's okay, like okay. his... I mean, he studied the history of technology uh, uh, yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, yeah. his yeah. whole... Um, that's all he thinks about. And, yeah, those aren't great odds. <laughs> uh, but they're <laughs> yeah. not great odds. But yeah. his thing is... Um, if it is, if that is correct, that yep. it is making life better, fifty-one percent. Uh, for example, like let's look at cars. Like yep. they get us from places, you know, quicker. They they allow us to see more of the world. They get us to the emergency room right. and save our lives. And they kill thirty-three thousand people in the U.S. and one point three million in the world every year. And right. blah 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 blah. Um, and um, uh, but his th- his theory is okay. Well, if we're if it's one percent better, then it's better. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious if you, I'm curious if you agree with that or disagree yeah. with that. Um, that's the first part of the question. I would say that's a pretty low aspiration to have. Let, let's improve things by one percent relative to the amount that we destroy things. And uh, do you I, think it's a higher percentage? I, I don't even. I don't. I have not sort of thought about each individual technology. How much is it sort of you know improving versus uh, versus destroying? I think um, I, I'm sure that that maybe over the arc of history, you know, it, it could sort of net out like that. Um, but compounded, the 51 percent just end up actually like meaning that. We we get like better healthcare and better, you know, w- ways of communicating. Um, but I would say that in general, I mean, we should sort of aim to have new technology be, you know, ninety-five percent positive, uh, with only sort of the but niche use cases being negative. Would you say that the technologies we use today are ninety-five percent positive? I think some are and some aren't. Well, like what? Which ones are? I think like. Enterprise technology. <laughs> <laughs> no, but enterprise technology could be being used by bad technologies. No, um, absolutely. There's, there's, there are ways to misuse Salesforce.com, but in general, when you're keeping track of your customer records, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, there's not a lot of ways that that you could start to, uh, to, to, to do something wrong with the, with Salesforce or Workday, um, or, or these kinds of technologies. But, but there's no question that you know something like a social network, like on the positive side. 
Uh, I, I can communicate with my family much more rapidly. I can stay in touch with people much more efficiently. On the negative side, you see the comment threads that, that go on. You're oh, like, holy shit. Awful. Like, like yeah. there's some horrible people. And You can't curse horrible... on here. Okay. I'm just kidding. Yeah, okay, you can, you can okay. say whatever the fuck you want. I didn't know this was like a regulated podcast. No, it's, I'm so. just messing around. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, but okay. But look at the – look at the. Um, uh, okay, would you – you've been outspoken against um, – a bit against Trump and and others for some of the things they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been extremely outspoken yep. about them. <laughs> but and if you gave me the choice of oh being able to communicate with um, uh, with my sister in England over Facebook or and having Donald Trump as president, you and would this, trade no communication. I would be <laughs> like I would send her a, uh, I would yeah, send her a letter and yeah. say I'll talk to you next month. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, so so it it is an interesting uh, yeah yeah th- this one is is very real. But again, you know, up until two three four years ago, I I would say this would have been sort of treated as a pretty fringe idea that in America you could have such a radical phenomenon of of a, a president like Trump you know truly take over all of our all of our kind of daily psyche right like that was not a that was not something that was you know kind of hatched up initially in in the early days of of twitter it was like let's check sports scores and like tell people what we're eating so now we're finding that oh all these things have a lot of unintended consequences that are really scary there there are technological solutions to every one of these problems that just haven't been implemented so i think in some cases we just have negligence on the part of these platforms uh, that that where you could solve what would be what would be a technological solution to 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 the the to the fake news thing to the to the the I mean, actually, I legitimately, I would love to know what you think a technological solution would be to the the total and utter vitriol that exists yep. on the internet. So, uh, so, so between I, parties, yeah, and- uh, that that one's a little bit of a tough order to solve. <laughs> um, I, I have one ask of of Twitter. Yeah, uh, it's a very simple use case. Yeah, if if uh, I don't think that you should have to go through an entire kind of abuse and harassment process. To get somebody like off your timeline and off off tweeting at you and in your thread, and you shouldn't have to you shouldn't even have to block somebody. Like if somebody's tweeting at you, you should be able to press like like turn that shit off, and they don't get to have any act. They don't get to tweet into your channel. Nobody gets to see it. Nobody gets to to tweet into your tweets. Like they they are out of that thread. I think that if you if you have a tweet. You should own the entire conversation thread if you if you want. And if somebody's harassing you, you should be able to remove them instantly. And then there should be some signal of like if, if like five people remove somebody, shut that user off. Like there's got there are easy, there but are ways to solve this problem. I, I completely agree with you. I, I actually went through the harassment thing this week. I somebody called me a not very nice name. Yeah. And I was like, eh, let me see what happens when you report them. Yeah. And uh they, it was a 280 characters of not nice names, yeah. but, uh, which I didn't care about, but I was just curious, and I clicked it, and I reported it, and I had, about 15 minutes later, I get a, an email, and they said, we did not find this, that it was offensive, and it was like, right. what the fuck are you well, talking well, about? Well, so this is the big problem. So so this is exactly the key. We have uh, – we, we, you have these companies that are, have created quote-unquote utilities, but ultimately there are people on the other end that are in the role of, of the editor – of deciding who gets to be on and off the utility. And they might have a fundamentally different definition of what harassment or abuse is than you do, and yet you don't get to own your own your own universe in that utility. And so there are there's fundamental contradiction between the technology that, that has been created and the the role of the editor in this in this world that they have not been able to reconcile, which is that this is your profile, this is your this is your stream, and yet you don't get to control who's coming into it. 
and they do, and you might have fundamentally different subjective opinions than them uh, on on what is harassment or what is abuse. And you should be able to control your own definition of that. And do you think that's ever going to change? Couldn't tell you. I think what I what I would say is that I think if we are still living in a world of these these types of problems in two or three years from now, I think we've got you know some really big issues in the in the tech industry. If if you have the same exact political risks, the the same you know uh, uh, abusive you know behaviors in these platforms, I think that would be you know really sad if if we haven't solved this. And I actually think people will eventually move off the platform um, in in larger quantities if we if we can't get to to the, the solution on this. Well, that's what's happening with Facebook. Correct. I mean, the user numbers are dropping dramatically. I was, you know, it's uh, it's 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 kind of mind-boggling the speed with which it's happening. Yeah. Uh, and um, and it is a direct result of of I I personally think it's a direct result of the algorithm was too good at showing you things that you would interact with, and it didn't realize that the things you interacted with were making you feel bad. Yeah. Uh, do you uh, still use Facebook? I, I do. I mean, I I, I log wow, in. And, you're the only one. Well, huh? it's a it's a good way to sort of check on which uh, services are retargeting you, and so you can log in and see all the ads and, and everything. No, I mean, I, I have I, I I like to. It is it is a. I mean, at this point, <laughs> it is a uh, it is um, certainly a a really f- uh, fast way to just basically see all of the different articles that you know everybody's sharing, and that's kind of what it's become. So so, so okay. So w- w- just to wrap up this whole tech yeah. thing, and 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 we can we can switch topics, but. When have you there was a have you ever read the book Einstein's Dreams? No, um, it was a long time ago. Uh, I've so heard of it. Yeah, it's a fun, creative book, and it's a, a series of chapters, ten, twelve chapters, and each chapter is essentially a different theory of time. Uh-huh. And so, like one chapter is that the closer you are to Earth. Uh, the quicker you age, and so we, the, the society we live in, everyone, the richer people live on t- taller stilts because uh-huh. they age slower. Um, I can't remember all of them, but it's really like a fun, creative, like thinking, you know, example of of, of, of time. And I often think about if if we could go back and do Silicon Valley technology yeah. over, what would we do differently? Well, Tim Berners Lee is, I guess, working on it. And this. Tim Berners Lee's working yeah. on it. Like there's you know, there are a lot of people that are really concerned with, with the way this all turned out. What would you do? Oh man. Uh uh, you know, I'm let's just, just say that you're in charge. I'm just trying to run a little enterprise software company yeah, okay, come in on, the cloud. Come on. You, and... you chose to do this podcast. <laughs> um, I so so I think that uh, again we're we're at this. Uh, I'm going to give you more probably a rhetorical a- answer that that doesn't lead us to any major conclusions. But but I think we're we have this fundamental issue, which is uh, some companies, not all, some companies can't decide whether they're utility or whether they are more or less a a media company and the moment and that that distinction is not your business model not your your uh uh, political views it's it's are do you have uh are you making editorial decisions on what people see on the internet whether those are algorithmic decisions whether those are humans that are deciding what what to turn on or off and i think that the we have a lot of companies that believe that they are utilities but they are actually in the editor business and they have to decide like are they going to take on all of the the, the deeper complexity of, of once they're deciding what information we're seeing, how we're seeing it, and and you know who who we're seeing? They have to they they begin to take up sort of higher level of responsibility for the role that they play in elections and our you know society's sort of own view on culture and all of this th- these kinds of issues. And I don't think that we we have a good precedent for for what that's supposed to look like because the traditional editorial businesses we know. 
MSNBC, New York Times, uh, Fox News. We kind of know the leaning of that organization. The utility businesses, Comcast or, or uh, you know, t- uh, Time Warner Cable, we don't, there's no, they don't need to have any leaning because they kind of let anything onto the system. And these new platforms are actually making editorial decisions that, that, but claim to be utilities. And there's no precedent for what that looks like. And there's no precedent for an era where you can send a piece of text and it could reach potentially a billion people on the internet. That, that like, you know, we, we, we didn't have this, but five or seven years ago. So I, I think that the, the, I don't think this is a, you could somehow redo Silicon Valley in, in necessarily. I think this is us as a society and a government deciding how do we want these platforms to work? How do we want them to be regulated? What is the oversight going to look like? Like, you know, even in the, even in the uh, social network space, you have two completely different contentious views from the regulatory side. You have one view, which is, which is, uh, uh, we think that, um, we, we, we think that certain right-wing um, uh, parties are being blocked, and a different side, which is we think that elections are being hacked in favor of of of, of the right. And so, like nobody can figure out how. It, so how would you regulate a platform that both sides are are have complete two completely views of how they're how it's being misused? So I, I don't think we have the answers to these to these issues right now. Do you think that we that technology can fix the problems that we find ourselves in, or do you think that it's just going to continue to drive a wedge between us because we can find the thing that we want that justifies our viewpoint. I don't think technology alone is, is going to, I don't think this is like even, oh man, if we just had better AI than what we have today, everything will get so much better. <laughs> um, I, I think this is a mix of technology, society, and government all kind of exploding in, in one cauldron. And um, and we are, I mean, it's it's kind of taking the extreme poles of just the human condition and, and amplifying it because you can now distribute things at scale to the entire world. And I don't think we were ready for that. Uh, well, let's hope that something changes because whatever's You're going on right now is not, it's not working. Good. No, um, I, I, yeah, I, and uh, I, I, yeah, I don't think it's working at all. So I don't think that... I don't does think it, does it, it make you want to get more involved in helping solve the problem or is it... Um, well, I'm probably contributing more because I'm just tweeting and just whatever's on my mind. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So, so getting to your tweets. Yeah. Um, uh, and then I want to. Uh, we're going to come back around to something else later. But uh, getting to your tweets. Um, you. I. So you recently. I saw you tweeted. I may have it in front of me okay. about about Jeff Flake uh, being a <laughs> spineless. Uh, let's see here if I have it. Jeff, uh, this is your tweet. Okay. Jeff Flake plays a principal leader when it's just his words, but the moment it comes to anything or real consequence, he's as spineless as anyone else. So, and, and, and you know what? And maybe I actually I, like a world where I can tweet that and, and not have anybody sort of. You well, know, there was definitely, it. you should see some of your at replies. I've but, seen a couple uh, of them, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> um, but the question is, is, um, you know, so I was at the New York Times before, and if I would have tweeted some of the things I tweet today, yeah. uh, I probably problem. would have been out of a job or would have been would have been. I actually remember getting in trouble for tweeting about gun control once, and it wasn't even that big of a, a deal of tweet. Um, and I'm so glad that I'm at, at Vanity Fair where I can say whatever I want and say Trump's an asshole and an idiot and blah blah blah. Um, as a CEO of a public company, do you kind of grapple with the decision to say how you really feel uh, b- versus how it may impact some of the people that use your service? Um, well, um, uh, I, I would say that, that 
97 and a half percent of the time I'm tr- I try to be very very thoughtful yeah. A- yeah. A- th- thoughtful apolitical on 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 issues and be 100 percent policy driven so um, so you know we, we try and focus you know mostly on on policy issues at hand so if there's an immigration issue if there's a social you know justice issue um, and and I, I care about or the company cares about a policy we want to focus on the policy very occasionally, I personally get too upset about a topic, uh, and then I, I kind of move off from the policy side and get a little bit um, uh, political. And, and that, that obviously was, was one of those examples that was not like a corporate tweet. That was yeah, just yeah, me being, yeah. waking up and being really upset. So, um, But, uh, but I, I think that, I, you know, I, I try and think of Twitter as a personal um, <laughs> medium for myself uh, and, and to not think through a lot of the a lot, lot of major issues, but, but, you know, want to keep most of it kosher. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, I think e- even in, it was interesting, uh, when the immigration, uh, travel ban issues happened about a year and a half ago, I actually got numerous investors, uh, emailing and calling saying, thank you for hmm. stepping up on this issue because either they were immigrants and they're public investors, or they understand how important it is to be a technology and innovation company and how important immigration is to us. And so they actually see that actually as like, like we need companies to take a stand on these topics because, because this, these decisions could alter the course of our economy and our ability to innovate. So I, I think more and more you're actually seeing that, uh, again, if, if you're respectful about it and it's, it's policy oriented, I think the expectation is, is that CEOs are going to take a stand and companies will take a stand on major issues that, that matter uh, to their company, to their community, and, and hopefully to the to the country. So those are the kinds of issues that I tend to take stands on. Um, and for the most part, overwhelmingly, I've seen uh, positive feedback from investors on that on that issue. I think the the only thing you're not supposed to do is is literally say you're taking your company private. Private at 420. <laughs> literally <laughs> over yeah, Twitter. I mean yeah. that that's sort of the the, the <clears throat> that's the one kind of you know part of the the rule book that uh, that, that yeah definitely. You want to follow. Are there are times throughout the day where you, because you know we all watch the news and read the read all this stuff, and and we just get so frustrated and angry. And I mean, there are a lot of times I actually write tweets and delete them, or you or, you know, just need to. It's about sur- six times a day for me. Yeah. Uh, is that is that a six times a day thing for you? Is it? Yeah. Um, or, I mean, not. I mean, depending on the day and depending on the the congressional hearing. Yeah. But um, uh, the the I mean, there's a lot of stuff that I don't tweet that I you know I'm thinking yeah. Um, does anyone does anyone look at your tweets or is it just you? I hope some people look at them. <laughs> no, before you write them. Before you write them. Uh, do you, are you just tweeting into yeah. a into a forest? Um, uh, no, nobody's looking at the, the tweets. Well, yeah. well, you should definitely fo- uh, follow Aaron on Twitter because he's he's quite oh, funny. You so You're much. actually one of the few people that I actually enjoy. Oh wow! Uh, uh, you oh, and yeah. Donald Trump. Oh, I'm just that's kidding. Great I unfollowed him. Oh, I just wow. was like, it's just I, like, I never followed him. It was too annoying it's for me. It's just like, what's the point? It's, it's just fake stuff. So. Yeah, it's fake, yeah. fake news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fake tweets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fake tweets. Uh, so, okay, so as we're on this topic of, of you know, Trump and politics and so on, uh, this is not your ex- area of expertise, but I'm curious. You're a smart guy, and, and I'm sure you've thought about this a lot. But do you think that um, that we can – You know, when, when you set up with the, the – the statement of you're a smart guy, et cetera. The pressure is is, is just, well, now like, like what if my sentence is like kind of lame? Just answer like, with one word. <laughs> exactly. Okay. Uh, um, just just read a haiku. Okay. Do you think you know we there, there's I think if there's one thing that the right and the left agree about, yeah. it's that we're in a really really bad place yeah. right now. Um, and you know, I was talking to my wife about this, and I was saying, you know, it's insane that th- for three years all we have talked about is Trump. Yep. 
Uh, it is. He's taken over. It the is whole astounding area. that 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 for three years we still and he, like this week, he was a vile, vile person and made fun of Ford yep. at the rally and all these people are cheering and laughing and um and uh the Kavanaugh hearing has like got my blood boiling to the degree that the child immigration policy did. Yep. Um and and I I just look at this and I think to myself, well, how how did is the how do we fix this? Like, what do we do? Is it possible? Yeah. Is this just the new normal? Uh, and I'm curious what you think. I don't. I don't think it has to be. Of course, I literally would have thought that two and a half years ago, as we were coming up to an election, or two years ago, and as we were coming up to election. So, so clearly, my my um, my sort of radar is is really. I think off. everyone's radar. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah, my, yeah, my radar is very. Trump's off. included. Yeah. The the um. But I, you know, I I um. I, I think it's incredibly depressing when you see, obviously, things like the cheering and clapping at, at uh, Trump's, you know, political rallies on, you know, incredibly, um, uh, you know, disgusting uh, behavior and, and commentary. Um, so, so that aside, which is which is really scary and really shows that we're not in a good spot. Um, but I do think, that, uh, I, you know, I think when you you sort of step back and you, the I think if you were to look at many topics and you would say, you know, could we find alignment if we if we removed the the political uh, 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 sort of uh, animosity and the fact of and all of the stuff that we it's really hard to separate of people trying to get reelected and and you know Fox News and all of that and you just sort of said let's look at the issues like how do we create a lot of jobs in America how do we improve education in America do we want to help people have health care in America where do we want our taxes to go I I think you'd probably find more alignment than not not necessarily like 90% alignment, but like 60, 70, 80% of the population being aligned that like, we actually think that, that if you're, if you're hardworking, uh, you should come to America no matter where you're from. Uh, if you're a, re- a refugee and you pass certain tests, you should be able to, to come to America. I, I think you'd get alignment on that. I think we get manipulated by, by all of the other sort of swarms of information, all of the other, you know, kind of uh, tribalism that, that gets created where we have to pick a side, we have to attack the other side. Um, and that is, and, and, and that is the part that I don't know how that goes away. But you looked at, you know, you look at some of the political, um, uh, debates and and you 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 sort of see John Kasich and you're like that's not entirely unreasonable like I probably disagree with with 20 percent of John Kasich's views hmm. but but like would would he be a vastly better president who where we would not have any of these problems absolutely like yes we would be there'd be certain particular topics but there were particular topics with Obama that that we had issues with yeah on encryption and other types of, of topics we didn't agree with Obama on 100 percent of all things so I think we we hopefully have temporarily found ourselves in the most sort of politicized most polarized version of 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 our country but I do think that there are much more moderate much whether it's it's left or right of center um, candidates that that will start to rise up and we'll start to realize like we actually are not as misaligned as as we have been made to be become, um, and there will be extreme cases on, on both sides where it's like, holy shit! Like, yeah, you're actually just racist. Like, there's no getting around that. that like, John Kasich's not going to solve that. Um, but I'm I'm hopeful at least that that is not the case for for that. That does not have to be the case, kind of going forward across you know most of uh, of the country. Well, I completely agree with you. I think the thing that's so fascinating is you know so if you go back to from just from the re- research I've done, if you kind of look at where a lot of this starts, it actually kind of really comes to a head with Karl Rove and Bush. Mm-hmm. Um, and what happened was they were like, okay, we know we can't win. Right. Um, 
But here's a, here's an idea. What if we go to areas that we haven't been to before yep. and we make this not about economic issues, but we make it about social issues, yep. abortion, gay rights, things like that. And we drive that wedge. And it has, and it, it literally that was like it. the very beginning of where you start to see this wedge form. Yep. And then, of course, along comes Trump. Um, and And the thing that's so interesting is if you and, and, and you know that's a great point though. So you so obviously past couple of years we've had these viral a lot of these viral videos of like Ronald Reagan debating, um, you know George Bush Senior and yep. and you're like wow both of these people seem entirely reasonable yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. on immigration and whatever the topic is at the time. Yeah. And, you know obviously there were a lot of still you know challenges. There's no question, but like you're like wow that was like like. Th- that that would have been either of those ca- either of those candidates would be would be a, a totally fine environment. Yeah, I mean, to even be in, so. even Nixon like said things that I was like, <laughs> yeah, totally, I agree with you. Um, I don't know, but enough about uh, Nixon's views on on some of these issues, but but yeah, like literally, it's like we have somehow we've gotten way worse in just the past, I guess, ten or fifteen years, um, and we have to find a way to to uh, unwind from that. Well, so the so the question is is. So if you I read a report about the the speed of technology and yep. change and the what it said was that in the next 100 years we will experience the same amount of change in this country as we we did in the last 20,000 years. Mm. Right? That's just how quickly change is happening. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder this is kind of back to the tech stuff is 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 there a way f- I mean can society you know, move that fastly without breaking? Well, I, I'm, yeah, definitely the wrong person because I have no fucking clue. Um, but, <laughs> no, but, <laughs> but you think but about tech and... I, I and think that the, I mean, on one hand, uh, w- one thing that I'm positive about is demographics are, are changing and, and they do, they will take some time, but they will ripple through our country um, in a way that is very positive where we will be more diverse. We will be, um, uh, our, our communities will be more diverse. We'll have a much more diverse bloating, a voting block. Um, and I think that will begin to change our, our, our society and our culture for the better. And so, so, and that will cause us to modernize our immigration policies that will cause us to continue to, uh, progress forward with our social, um, uh, uh, issues. Uh, and that, that is an unstoppable force, that I don't think you can is going to be able to be you know reversed in any way, and then technology along that lines will obviously continue to evolve and, and hopefully um, you know not not uh, destroy us in the process. Do you um, when you think of, we were talking just about a, a minute ago about economic issues and one of the big worries that we all talk about and hear about is is artificial intelligence yep. and automation and and uh, um, job loss and so on and and it seems to me that you know we should all both left and right, we should be looking for candidates that understand that, yep. except there are zero. Not a lot. Literally zero that I can think of, except for maybe one or two people, actually, so there may be two. Yep. Um, well, maybe uh, you'd like it if Jeff Bezos uh, was uh, was president. I think he... <laughs> I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind. See, I think he should have to give up some of his money. Okay, that, that, uh, that part would have but, to happen. Um, uh, quite a lot of it, actually. Yep. Uh, but but the, the, the question is, is should we... Do you worry that things are going to get worse as a result of that? I mean, you look at the, you know, you're yeah. going to have truckers and and drivers and that are going to lose their jobs. It's not like it's not going to happen in 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 like years. It's going right. to happen overnight. You know, it's like yeah. one all of a sudden there'll be one or two driverless trucks on the road, and then there'll be thousands. Yeah, I mean, I think well, well. So first of all, I think even what we've seen in the past year or two in this space is we probably were overly optimistic at the pace of of innovation within 
AI and, and, and self-driving cars and, and trucks and, and optimistic in the sense of the, the performance of the technology. Um, and so even that, I think, is, is looking like it's farther out before you're going to see wholesale change to, to our roads. Uh, you mean that we haven't developed the technology quick enough? or I, I think uh, – no, no, the, 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 uh, the evolution of these systems is not happening fast enough where you would where, – where, or, or the permutations are so infinite that, that you're not seeing – real self-driving in a way that, that is, is going to be able to kind of ripple through society anytime soon. Um, you know, so there are plenty of people that think even for cars, you're five or 10 years out uh, from, from a mass adoption standpoint. Um, and so, so first of all, you, we do have to be concerned about jobs. We have to find a way where, whether it's through retraining or creating more opportunities for people to find new opportunities within the, the economy, that, that's critically important. It's obviously important that we have uh, regulators and politicians and lawmakers that actually understand where things are going and can prepare for it. Um, but I would also say that the I'm a little bit more optimistic that AI is not sort of this thing that wipes out you know, kind of labor um, as as rapidly as it's as it's being concerned to to, to possibly do because um, I think in most cases right now we're seeing that AI is is possibly going to help us automate a task, but not a complete job. So ta- individual tasks will get automated away and will become more efficient, but we are not seeing as many signs that the entire job that whole person's role continues completely disappears. And even in the cases where a specific role in, in the worst case can disappear, oftentimes that AI is making that process so much more efficient that there's more consumer demand for whatever that thing is, that there's more jobs created in whatever that business process is in just the surrounding parts of the process. So I think we're really, really early uh, in, in this journey to be able to say that, is this actually a net job destroyer? I don't think we actually know the but answer to that. They- it's a net task um, uh, actually, I don't even know if it's a net task destroyer. It, it destroys some tasks and will create a whole new set of tasks that only humans are able to do as, as surrounding that. But aren't we, you know, I mean, the, there's report after report, McKinsey, the, even the, the, you know, the federal government and so on. I can on. find many reports where they have been wildly wrong on anything. Well, yeah, but but there's, but every report has a, est, you know, it estimates between 10 and 50 million job loss, yeah. j- jobs lost in the next 25, 30, 40 years, whatever it is. Yeah. Like, um, there's think, clearly going to be a massive upheaval and you know yeah. it's it's funny like like people like Andreessen Horowitz the, you know they the, um, uh, um, they they say oh it's great software's used in the world and and um, and you know after the industrial revolution the entire media industry was born mm-hmm. and if it wasn't for the industrial revolution I wouldn't have a job right um, and this microphone would not exist this microphone would not exist however when you go and you look at the research yes. and the history books, yes. it turns out that the period of the Industrial Revolution, which took place for about 80 to 120 years, was the biggest upheaval of crime that we've ever seen in history. Mm-hmm. Because there was so much job loss and there mm-hmm. were people were, that that was what they were forced to do. And, and shouldn't history predict the future a little bit? Um, uh, the well, well um, I mean, the... the uh, on, on the on the crime side and the job law side, there's a lot of other again kind of societal and government uh, functions that can help with these things. Like, it, well, it, I uh, you really think the government's going to help? Uh, well, by government, I mean our educational systems and and all of the surrounding things that prepare people for for the next set of jobs, uh, for the the next set of opportunities, for the possible um, uh, safety nets that that occur uh, and that are created. I think there are many mitigating solutions that you could have, um, so that way you don't put somebody out on the street and and you know you know, you know create a, a an incredibly tough environment for them. So so the I think you can simultaneously say. 
technology innovation is going to make our healthcare better, life sciences better, transportation safer, um, life more convenient, and at the same time say we also need to prepare for what the next set of jobs are going to be, for creating a safety net for people that are impacted by this, for improving our education. So actually you can you can train the next set of workers in, in this society um, and a whole bunch of other uh, uh, ways of mitigating the, the, the potential, you know, costs and consequences to, to this innovation. Um, and, uh, and, and so like, I think you can balance both of those things simultaneously and, uh, and then end up with a, a much better outcome. So I think that the, I think that's the part of the conversation that's not exactly happening. And in this political environment is almost impossible to happen because you don't have a well-built out government or well-functioning government in this space that they can even let us go and have these conversations. Do you think that we'll start to see more, um, people running for office in the next, I mean, do you think in the next 10 years that we'll be addressing these issues? Are these, are, are these going to be issues that the public is aware of that they're coming or are they going to be looking at them more in hindsight? Um, I think that the uh, – I, I think uh, – you know, I, I don't know any about the – I haven't read the latest, you know, silver uh, – data sets on on you know who's going to win which races or whatever but, yeah, which, but i think which changed by the minute yeah, yeah so so i would say that the i mean totally anecdotally it feels like the next elect like the next uh uh elect set of elected officials are getting demographically more aligned to people that that have grown up with this modern set of technologies are studying them more understand them a little bit more natively probably are a little bit more be, you know better prepared for what what uh uh not not exactly how to make the laws, but but at least understand and interpret the, the challenges that we're facing. Um, so it feels like that is a trend that is occurring that that you know should should support solving this problem. Um, all right, but, we, but it's going to be a bumpy ride. I, I, I mean, well, like, at least like, you admit it's going to be a bumpy yeah, ride. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not like this. <clears> crazy I mean, you could utopian. be you 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 may be out of a job. Totally. You may be replaced Probably. by a smarter, easily that would be really more easy handsome AI yeah. <laughs> who sends better tweets. But I, I the uh, <laughs> uh, how do you know it's not already doing the it's tweets? Probably. Um, uh, I, I, there's no. I mean, uh, listen. Last thing I want to do is claim that like this is going to go, you know, super smoothly. We're going to like get through this, no, no problem. I mean, it's it'll be bumpy. There's going to be a lot of changes. A lot of industries are still going to go through through upheaval and, and transformation. I think when I look at the the, the types of problems. That we still should be solving in the country and the world beyond this, beyond just like basic society, you know, level stuff. There's still so much more need for innovation. When you look at still the reasons why people are dying of of cancer, and you look at you know car accidents, and you look at um, uh, and you look at just the economic system, and 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 again how inequitable it is, uh, and better access to finance. I think you see a lot of opportunity for innovation to still be a net improvement to society, and we have to do that in a way where you're not again destroying jobs and you're not creating even more problems for ourselves like we've seen in, in you know some of these spaces do you think that um, a lot of the the people that are running Silicon Valley tech companies um, are almost too young to be doing it and that's partially why we find ourselves in the situation we're in today and why we could find ourselves in an even worse one in the future um, well I think that the what I would uh, I mean, I want to be slightly self-aware because um, we started boxing <laughs> when we were nineteen. Um, yeah, but you're you are you guys are without. I mean, no bullshit aside. Like you guys are the exception to the rule. Like you guys are thoughtful and 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 most companies in the valley are not. Well, I I think that first of all, we're we're 
uh, in a safer spot because we sell to enterprises. So like our entire business model, if we don't keep your data secure and you control it and it's private and you have all of the, the ownership of that data, we're out of business. So like, I don't want to be too. No, uh, no, I'm not. I'm not trying right. to. Yeah, pat you on the back. No, thank say, you. I, mean, I was more, hoping you were going to. I'm, but, but, I'm not. Okay. No, I'm not trying <laughs> no, to do that. I'm, no. It's more. <laughs> I'm trying to like, I'm questioning, the other ninety nine percent. Hundred percent. I would just say we're fortunate because our 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 we, we sort of like as soon as we pivoted into the enterprise eleven years ago, we were like, okay, like we actually have to fucking do this, in an enterprise grade way from a security, compliance, privacy, you know, all, all of that set of things, which just means your the DNA of the company starts to change. Like we have we have had a chief compliance officer for seven or eight years. We've always had a security team. So those kinds of things have been built into the, the fabric of the company. Even when we were very young in our early 20s, we were starting to build that out just by the nature of the business model. I do think that, that you know, one, one thing that does come with the fact that we have uh, – uh, a, a lot of young people starting companies is is you're not you haven't necessarily seen all the ups and downs of markets and economies and society and all the different challenges and we do I, I'll say we because because we had the same level of naive optimism when we were starting Box you do tend to only think about the really positive things that are going to happen with your technology the I mean you're you're mostly on a whiteboard saying like wouldn't it be cool if like you could share your photos you're not thinking about like all of the ways that might be manipulated by a, a different government so the the like like in general. In general, uh, a lot of these the, the founding uh, uh, you know situations that these companies find themselves in are, are meant to be optimistic and, and positive. And all of a sudden, you you find yourself in a situation where you don't know how to deal with now all of the the the, the sort of maybe havoc that that is happening on your platform and where it's going and all of these unintended consequences that have been created. Um, and I don't know that 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 means that you know uh, you, you need people that have been through all of that to start companies. I, I think that there's an equal amount of of, of, of sort of um, maybe, you know, skepticism that then comes uh, from that as well. So you almost need that ne- naive optimism as a re- rejuvenating force for new innovation. Um, but that needs to be paired with and coupled with, you know, more, more responsibility and people that have seen uh, the, the movie before. All right. So last question. Yeah. And then we're going to let you go. Oh, uh, I thought we were you doing can, two or three more of these. Uh, we, we're, this is the lo- This <laughs> okay. is the first podcast in okay. the series, and you will record okay, 12, 12 more after this. <laughs> Hope you brought your sleeping bag. <laughs> Um, uh, the, what is the technology that you're most worried about in the future? And what is the technology that you're most excited about? Well, uh, I would say it's probably the same technology. Uh, and I, I, I I mean, I'll, I'll try and come up with a better answer if you want, but, uh, I do think it is AI. I think that, uh, I, I think that, uh, we'll walk us through what it looks like. Yeah. Well, well, the, the super positive is that. A lot of problems that have not been able to be solved because they're just either really, really hard problems from a data set standpoint or a connecting information and, and you know, being able to do large-scale compute on that data uh, can start to be solved. So whether we're looking at, at healthcare, whether we're looking at, at again, major transportation issues, um, uh, I think these uh, continue to get improved by the power of, of technology. Um, often being you know, reinforced with, with uh, some form of intelligence. At the same time, I am equally freaked out about the fact that you know, that same AI in the wrong hands uh, could be severely uh, dangerous and, and, and damaging, uh, whether that is for, uh, again, in, in, like, in malicious hands, um, uh, which is obviously why the, 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 you know, some, of the, uh, some of the interests on you know, AI ethics is really important, or you know, some of the, the job um, destruction issues, maybe we don't adapt fast enough or we don't mitigate the issue fast enough. Um, although that one I think is a little bit more in our control because we can always implement policies. You can't, you, the, the AI sort of 
being misused and you start to see incredibly um, you know, dangerous things is, is really hard to kind of create policy uh, to prevent. I think from the job standpoint, we can always sort of tilt uh, it's its usage uh, via uh, you know via different methods uh, if we start to see that it is actually a net job destroyer um, I think we're able to, to adjust for that are there are there worlds where we could where people that are building this AI could could build in you know things that would stop it from being used negatively or we just can't think of what those things are um, I think that um, so I, I don't know enough about that that uh, about the, the the depth of how you'd solve this from a technological standpoint because someone else could you know design a neural network uh, that did have a malicious intent um, and that that you know could be used in a very dangerous way but uh, but I I think that uh, I think we have to first study what are all the the possible you know ways that this can be abused and and try and think about what would you do to counteract that but uh, but I, I I you know we are the genie's out of the bottle in, in this sense of. We don't exactly know, you know, what what the future holds uh, in this space, and and I think there's an incredibly amount of uh, exciting set of of things that, that get uh, uh, impacted because of AI, and then there are some actual real risks that we need to be very very uh, 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 attentive to. This has been fascinating, Thank terrifying, you. very exciting. <laughs> uh, did we say enough, like, in this 51-49% thing, did we say enough optimistic things, or was this mostly Well, most people stressful? listening to this podcast know that I'm not okay, a very okay. optimistic can person, we, especially we when it comes to... Okay, how, about this, how about this? I want you to say two nice things about Amazon. Oh, I love Amazon. Great. Okay, so it's a, you know, we're... No, we're, no, no, I, I look, okay. I, I love Amazon. I, I think that um, uh, the fact that I can get you know, a smoke alarm delivered to my house in in two hours or, or you know, I mean, That's just amazing. anything. The right. fact that it's just, you know, it's amazing. Right. I, I do feel bad for, I mean, look, Jeff Bezos this week up the – um, the minimum wage pay for his workers from $10 right. to $15 an right. hour uh, and partially because of – there was so much negative response to him not giving away any of his money um, – I think that that's amazing and he's going to have a huge impact and it's going to probably help, uh, you know, hundreds of millions of people in America that will other companies will be forced to follow suit. But at the same time, what took so long? Right. Uh, right. And, um, and and I think that, that one's really interesting. So I, I think what we are – the phenomenon here is really uh, – again, willful or not, who knows? Uh, tech companies, tech CEOs are, are all of a sudden like, holy shit, like – we are like like they're the new barons of oh, of, yes. of, of capitalism now now like the media has been been like very clear to uh, like make that be clear for a, a while now so like you shouldn't be waking up to that in 2018 finding out you're a baron <laughs> but <Yeah>. like <laughs> so so like that shouldn't be a surprise like the um but but i think people are now realizing like wow actually like there's a lot more responsibility you have to have if you're in that kind of position and whether that's philanthropy whether that's um wh- whether that's actually your corporate ethics and uh the the, the culture you're creating within your co- your company like this this stuff really, really matters, and uh, and I, that is a wave that is very clearly happening. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And so, so, so I, I am optimistic about, uh, but I also, and then you know, the last part about Amazon is, uh, I look at like mom and pop stores that no longer exist, and I, I feel bad. Yeah, you know, it's like I genuinely. And 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 here's the only thing, I, I that that is uh the the that is really that is really sad, uh and uh and and I don't know how you deal with that, but. There are uh, there are a number of mom and pop uh, companies that wouldn't have existed either 
without these types of platforms. And so how do you, yeah, it's what true. are we supposed to do yes. to, to balance that out? The, the fact that you can actually have a startup distributing products out of your, your bedroom uh, because of Shopify and Amazon for the first time in history and have a global distribution network. Uh, and, and like that, that is, that is what we've signed up for in capitalism. And it's like, you know, there are, you know, you have to feel bad about the mom and pop that, that, uh, whether it was Starbucks or, or Amazon or Walmart that, that kind of rippled in, uh, to this industry. Uh, and I think what we all have taken as a leap of faith is, is that the net positive is, is that some, that is that, you know, the system continues to improve, um, and we get better products and they get cheaper and more jobs, you know, do get created in the system, but it is, it is, there's no question that you, you have to be, we have to be as a society more, more sympathetic and, and create better systems for those that are impacted. All right. I, I fully, uh, I totally agree. Um, all right. If one. you, uh, all right. I just, if I told you that Twitter is about to be shut down yeah. and you can send one last tweet, what would it be? Uh, this has been interesting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Mine would be an at reply to Donald Trump. Okay. And be like, go fuck yourself. Okay. Uh, on that note, Aaron, thank you so much. Okay. This has been fascinating as always. Uh, and everyone should follow you on Twitter at, at Levy. Thank you. L-E-V-I-E. There you right? go. Did I spell it right? Yeah. <clears throat> um, and, uh, and that's it, folks. Okay, thanks. Thank you. You're listening to Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. Welcome back to Inside the Hive. I am your host. Uh, forget it. John, why don't you just take it away at this point in the game? Well, welcome back to Inside the Hive. I'm John Kelly. That's my friend Nick Bilton. And if he sounds confused or under duress or slightly anxious, it's probably because he spent all day <laughs> like the rest of America or all afternoon at least, um, since we're taping this on a Thursday afternoon, watching a number of Republican senators with massive umbrage, uh, explain why they are satisfied with the FBI investigation into Brett Kavanaugh and his allegedly salacious teen years. I, well, you know, it's not only that. I woke up at five o'clock this morning with just filled with anxiety around him being confirmed, which is probably going to be what happens. And I just, like, it just seems so completely unfair. And I had this realization that, look, I'm a white man who feels this way like i can't even comprehend what it must be like for all the women who have been through any kind of experience or even who haven't how they feel it's and i can only pray and hope look i pray and hope that he doesn't get confirmed but the chances of that are zero to nil but i can only pray and hope that this comes back to literally destroy the republicans in the primaries in the next election that's all i can that's all I can ask for. You know, I, I don't want to belabor the point uh, too much, but I, I've been thinking a lot this week about um, about a professor that I, uh, whose class I took in college, named Eric Foner. He's, he's the uh, probably the greatest living Reconstructionist, um, and this is you know like basically you know almost twenty years ago at this point. But I remember in sitting in one of his lectures, as he said that um, you could, on some level, summarize the. Uh, the, the Civil War is, is not being about slavery, but really being, a, you know, a, a war of economics, um, uh, uh, a sort of psychic sphere in which a class of aggrieved um, uh, lower middle class um, uh, Caucasians were, uh, were were deeply fearful that a world was um, was being snatched away from them because of the economic opportunities that that African Americans were, were taking advantage of. Um, 
and that uh, it, it it was you know race was of, co- of course at the fore, but underpinning it was um, was this sense of a, of a disappearing economic way of life. And I've been thinking a lot about that during not not just the last couple of years, but in which we've we've seen a um, you know the sort of recurrence of that leitmotif, but also this week after Trump's ridiculous uh, you know in, insulting speech the other night to see how. It, how it played so successfully in in races in in North Dakota in West Virginia, where somehow his message was distilled down to his base as Kavanaugh's lack of confirmation would somehow signal the end of a way of life in which it's okay to just drink beer and get blackout drunk and and do whatever you wanted and 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 that now we lived in a world where um where you know uh. There was process, and and women had rights. It's it, it's uh it's it's all sickening. So Nick, um, I understand why you're a you're a sad sack. I I well I I am sad, and I but I also think that um uh you know I think that 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 there is there is good that comes out of fighting evil, and um I just hope that uh the the response to this is people. You know, it brings me so much joy and um, uh, <clears throat> and optimism, if I'm allowed to use that word, because I know I'm not usually one that has that. But to think of the fact that there are more women running for office now than there ever have been in history. And, and I can say, like, I don't care who you're going up against. Like, I, I, like, I'm voting for every single woman on the ballot from here on out. Like, I just, there's nothing that they could do to fuck this country up more than those ridiculous pathetic awful white men who have been and i know you're not supposed to say white men anymore because ann coulter said you're not allowed to but whatever um who have literally been on the supreme court i mean sorry on on in the senate and in office since before i was born that's insane it's just totally insane that you that anyone should be allowed to do anything for that period of time and so my hope is uh that this comes back to uh destroy the gop because God knows they need it. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, anyway, yep, yeah. <laughs> All right, you can stop fast forwarding. Let's move now. on. Let's move on to uh, this week. It was um, it was the new establishment list that came out for Vanity Fair. A uh, hundred of the biggest, most important, amazing people on earth. I was not on there. I don't know why I didn't make the cut, but whatever. Uh, let's let's discuss. Uh, let's discuss a little bit. Well, you know. Um, it's funny. Uh, I saw a tweet from um, uh, Dylan Byers, uh, the August um, media reporter now at NBC News, um, that was uh, sort of criticizing this list as as being a little incohate and, and, and representing a lot of factions and being not not data driven the way maybe the Forbes and the, and the Fortune list are. I'm not trying to call Dylan out. He's certainly entitled to his own opinion, and he's a very very smart guy and a fantastic journalist. But I saw that and I thought. That's actually the point of this list. Um, uh, I've worked on this for a few years now, and um, uh, the way I think about it is actually, if you had all the people in the world coming to your restaurant and you only had a hundred tables, who would you seat first, and and then who would who you know would you seat second, third, and fourth, and who would get the one hundredth seating? Everyone wants to come for four people at eight p.m. Um, and that's how I I look at this. So. Some people were surprised that that Robert Mueller uh, was number one on the list this year, but I, it, it seems almost unquestionable to me that he is the the sort of invisible hand at the center of um, of the American zeitgeist. And 
and and usefully for for the editors and reporters who come up with this list, like he shows that there are forces of law that are actually larger than than uh, the forces of technology. The people like Bezos and and Tim Cook and and uh, you know Zuckerberg, who normally dominate the top, that uh, and who all will be regulated at some point, um, perhaps significantly in the near future. That that a uh, a law minded, uh, wispy haired man of the establishment. Um, uh, can can crack the top of the list. Well, I actually think that it. Uh, you know, look, there 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 is no one I think who could potentially have a bigger impact on Trump and therefore tens of millions of people uh, um, who support him and their and their justifications of their actions based on him and and you know half of Congress and so on, uh, than Robert Mueller. And so, uh, I, you know, I, I tell you if, if, uh, if I were, if I were the maitre d' at that restaurant, he would definitely get the uh, best seat in the house. And if, if, uh, uh, Sanders walked in, I'd say, I'm sorry, we're, uh, we're full right now. Yeah. Though, uh, you know, Bernie like, did not make this list. Uh, I think that the, you know, <laughs> For for those listeners who have not yet seen it, um, no, I was talking about about uh, our press secretary. Sandra. Oh, oh, Sarah Sanders. Was, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. no, she would she would she would be asked to leave, and never allowed back. Yeah, no, she's a she's a curious person. I read that New Yorker story finally um, a few days ago, and um, what's interesting is that she numerous people say you know she's likable and. Um, I, I, I feel like I sort of I've encountered in, in both my personal life and like my professional life. There's a category of people um, who seem so incredibly detestable yet um, uh, have you know numerous sort of unofficial spokespeople. People saying actually she's not so bad. You have to get past all the monstrous stuff to find out that she's kind of warm and funny and 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 like that shit doesn't cut it for me. You know you, you don't. No. Um, it, that, that's no. not how um, uh, decent people uh, reveal themselves. So. No, not in the slightest. But Nick, let me not let me run the down the list for those uninitiated listeners who have um, been so busy listening to, to uh, uh, back episodes of Inside the High they haven't yet caught up with the new establishment. It's Mueller at one, then Bezos, Reed Hastings, the man that everyone is sort of trying to catch in the content world, and Bob Iger, the man who may indeed catch him. Tim Cook, that's five. Michelle Obama at six. Mark Zuckerberg at seven. Beyonce at eight. Randall Stevenson at nine. And uh, and Massa at ten, um, he was a, a big gainer this year since the um, the SoftBank Vision Fund is sort of like a, a a quiet ghost that that traipses around San Francisco over the heads of uh, CEOs and and venture capitalists. So I have a quick question for you. So I noticed that there was a lot of tech folks that actually that are still on the list, but they dropped. Yeah, they dropped further down the list. Um, Sheryl Sandberg was 12 last year. She's 18 this year. Elon Musk was five last year. He's 19 this year. Um, you know, even, uh, um, uh, even Bezos, you know, fell. Yep. Um, and, um, and was that because there's so much controversy around tech or was it because um, these people haven't been as impactful or in the face well, of Trump you know, and all the um, stuff? Uh, you know, it, it, Zuck too dropped from from two to seven. Um, Travis Kalanick had the you know had a humongous drop. Um, uh, uh, so did Evan Spiegel. It, it's a combination of things. I, I think on the one hand, yes, it's the um, one of the nice things not, about not having a data driven list that, or exclusively data driven list is that when people use their companies as 
blunt instruments to to sort of assail the uh, the credibility of the American experiment. Like, guess what? We can drop them on a list. And um, uh, and, and I think that that's a perfectly reasonable editorial explanation. Um, others are certainly earnings related. I mean, I, I think that, that that's what explains the snap phenomenon that um, uh, something that seemed so unmistakably great two years ago now appears to be a, a, a really, really flawed company with, with problematic leadership. Um, uh, but yeah, you know, you, you were out front on this really early, more so than anyone I can think of, honestly, um, that, uh, that Silicon Valley was, um, was not only, um, sort of unaccountable for the problems that it was creating, uh, but it was, um, it acted both blameless and also like blithely above it all. And you know, if it weren't for this Kavanaugh mess, Facebook would be getting ripped apart for this breach that that sort of the news dropped on Friday afternoon. That's unacceptable at, at a um, you know at what is probably what the eighth largest company by market capitalization. I don't know, I'm not looking at the stock market right now. Um, you can't do that. And, and there and there are consequences. They're both economic and, and more importantly, they're moral. Completely, one thousand percent. And I think. Um you know, I I think that we've kind of been on this this slow trajectory heading from uh, these companies, you know, connecting people and letting you share a picture of your cappuccino and uh, venting about the restaurant you didn't get into or got kicked out of or loved or whatever. You know, it's um, funny though, Nick. You re- and I are both parents of small children, and so. We know now. Of course, being a parent of a small child is is, is not as complex as, as managing a, a forty thousand person international business. But but I do know that like you know, if my son wants to play with the scissors and open them, I think like yeah, he'll probably be okay. But like th- there is a small small chance that he'll do something terrible and trip and 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 cut himself. So you know what? I'm just gonna say, don't do that. It could go wrong. I'm a kind of risk averse person, <laughs> and like you know, money's not the most important thing to me. That that very simple human instinct has been totally betrayed uh, by many of these companies. And when they try and defend themselves, and I have heard executives at all these companies do just that, it is uh, the, the talking points are just horrible. Um, they are oh, they, they're they are horrible, self-reverential, and, and and all about how hard it is to 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 police mankind. Well, it, you didn't have to get into this business, and someone has to police it. So you know, buck up. Yeah, and and uh, their talking points are pathetic, and I really do think that um, you know the, the the day has come to roost that they are starting to feel the repercussions of um, uh, of of all the things that they have 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 done, and I and and good, I you know, I mean, look, I think it's funny. I got a I got a note uh, this week um, from a friend who said that they were talking to someone who worked at Twitter who listens to the show and thinks kind of we're a little bit. Uh, a little bit too mean, or I'm a little bit too mean to to Twitter, uh, but also that person understands uh, the argument. And I think you know a lot of the people that work at these companies are not bad people. Um, they're they're really good people with with good intentions, and um, and they are they're just being led astray by their leadership. And you know, once in a while, you get people who leave, like the founders of WhatsApp, and and eventually, I do believe Instagram founders will come out and, and say why they really left and so on. But you get people they who don't leave have and to, they're uh, honest, of course, you know. But no, but but you get people who leave and they're honest about what's really going on. And uh, and I think that look, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not even slightly over exaggerating when I say this. I don't know a single person i mean not a single solitary human being who still uses facebook 
no one. My I mother, mean, I'm not, like, my mother, um, who doesn't not, know how to my mother-in-law uh, doesn't use even technology use it. My dad podcast, but uh, yeah, no one uses it that I know, and 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 that is going to be a huge, huge problem for that company, and it is a direct result of the actions of its CEO. And if it if it burns in a ball of flames, like good. A ball uh, of flames. There we go. Uh, I have a, I have two last things, real quick. Um, uh, one, I I wanted to know how you decided uh, to put number ninety nine on the list uh, this year. Anonymous, mm-hmm. the author of the most famous opinion piece uh, in recent history, who uh, which garnered fifty million page views from the Times. Um, what was uh, how did, how did we get to that? That you know, it's funny that the, one of the um, the real joys of this list is, is um, these are like fun magazine meetings. Like what, what we're, um, you know, what, they're as close to what people imagine uh, uh, editors do: you know, sitting around a table, looking at a bunch of names, and um, and really kind of sorting out like who belongs where and what the totem looks like. And we were finalizing this list within days after that came out, and. The impact of it was so significant um, that I think we were all flummoxed, and it was what everyone was was talking about. Um, and uh, it, it seemed like a nice parallel with 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 Mueller uh, at the top. And um, I think that it also might have buttressed uh, number one hundred, uh, Kylie Jenner. Well. Uh... It's a great list. Uh, we're going to be doing the New Establishment Summit in Los Angeles live next week, and we'll be recording some of those and posting them on the Inside the Hive show. Uh, but I did want to end with one little story, an uplifting story for our listeners who are still here. So last night, my wife and I went out, uh, and um, we went to, to an event we had to go to, and we were... 30 minutes away driving to this to this place and we get a phone call from my mother-in-law who was babysitting. We have two little kids, a three-year-old and a one-year-old and she said, I'm calling 911. It smells like the house is on fire. And we were like, holy shit, like let's turn around. So we turn around and we start driving back. It's LA, so there's traffic everywhere where it's like, you know, it says it's going to be 40 minutes to get home. And um, and I'm watching on our security cameras as the fire trucks come in and my kids were, of course, very excited by this. Um, and it turned out that it wasn't anything. It was just a, she had smelled some smoke. We don't know what it was, but maybe it's from a neighbor or whatever. But one of the firemen came in and he asked, oh, what do you guys, what do the owners do, whatever? And she said, oh, uh, uh, my son-in-law works for Vanity Fair. And he says, oh, I love listening to Inside the Hive. And wow. so I just wanted to give a shout out to the firefighter who probably saved our kids' lives last night, who listens to the show. If you're still listening, thank you very much. That was really cool. Not a good story. That's an amazing story, Nick. I thought you were going to say that your that your mother in law, who I've met and who's lovely, couldn't get the Apple TV to work. <laughs> she, she can't actually figure out how to use the Nest thermostat, so she texts me all the time and says, "Can you turn the AC on or can you turn the <laughs> oh, AC God. off?" And I was in New York last week, as you saw, because uh, I saw you there, and I was uh, I was literally sitting on the plane as I landed, and she texted and she said, "Can you still turn the air conditioning on from New York?" So uh, to which I did, but anyway. Uh, anyway, uh, last little thing. Um, I'll, be, I'll be interviewing uh, Dara Kozwaskowski. I don't remember how to pronounce his name. The CEO of Uber next week, which will be the show. If anyone has any questions they would like me to ask him, just tweet at me or email or send a bat signal or a fax. Um, uh, and that's it. Thanks, John. Thanks, Nick. 
Thanks to my guest today, Aaron Levy, and of course, John Kelly. If you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes of Inside the Hive with Nick Bilton. You can find these on Apple Podcasts, Google Player, anywhere you get your podcasts. And don't forget to leave a review while you're there. But more importantly, don't forget to register to vote and vote in the upcoming midterms because that's more important than a review. Anyway, back to my regular scheduled programming. Thanks to the folks at Cadence 13 for their production work, my editors at Vanity Fair, and, of course, my sponsor this week, Grow Up. Please support them the same way you support this podcast. I will see you all next week when we have lived through seven days of news that felt like seven years of news. Have a good one, folks. And if you are watching this video, either I'm dead or I'm in a very, very, very bad situation. She said, oh my God, I can hear gunshots. I can hear men outside. Where are they? What have they done to them? Are they dead? Are they not dead? There is one suspect, her father, the Sheikh. It's Madeline Barron from In the Dark. We've teamed up with our new colleague, Heidi Blake, at The New Yorker to try to answer a question about one of the richest men in the world, the ruler of Dubai. Why do the women in Sheikh Mohammed's family keep trying to run away? There's five policemen outside and two policewomen inside the house. So basically I'm a hostage. And he reminded me that Sheikh Mohammed can get me anywhere. Because you're a rich and powerful person, you can effectively break any law you want in our country and get away with it. The Runaway Princesses is available now. Follow In the Dark wherever you get your podcasts.